I always encourage folks to always raise your money when you don't need it. A lot of times people go and raise their money when they desperately need it. You're definitely the loser in that scenario. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Speaker Series Rewind, a podcast by High Alpha. My name is Katherine Martin, and I'm on the marketing team here at High Alpha, and I'm really excited for today's episode. If you're new to the show, as a recap, we revisit High Alpha Speaker Series events featuring industry leaders, investors, and successful entrepreneurs. And for our very first season, we are focusing on our interviews with founders and CEOs, running everything from international airports to packaged food startups and B2B software companies. For today's episode, we're headed all the way back to January of 2017 for an interview with co-founder of Angie's List, Angie Hicks, and High Alpha partner, Eric Tobias. For those of you who may not know, Angie's List was acquired by HomeAdvisor in 2017 and is now known as Angie. At the time of this interview, Angie Hicks was the CMO of Angie's List, and nowadays she is the Chief Customer Officer at Angie. In this episode, she shares her experience as an early entrepreneur starting with door-to-door sales in the hopes of just getting 30 people to sign up, and then how that later evolved into Angie's List with over 5 million users. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the episode. We have a very special guest today. Angie Hicks is joining us from Angie's List. Angie is the co-founder of what arguably is the most successful consumer tech company in the Midwest and maybe beyond. Angie's List has been such a a fabric of the Indianapolis community for many, many years. And uh, Angie herself has played a critical role uh, in the company's growth and excited to hear her entrepreneurial journey and her story and and how she has grown with the company over, over many, many years. So please join me in welcoming Angie Hicks. Thanks, Eric. It's it's great to be here, and like I'm so glad you got the band back together. <laughs> like this is exciting. So I'm thrilled to be here. I'm going to share a little bit about the Angie's List story from the early days. I look around at the crowd, and I'm like, you know, when I was talking at lunch, there's lots of young people aspiring and currently starting their own business, and and I admire you greatly. It can be a journey of challenges and perseverance, but. It'll be one of the greatest things you do and, you know, to tackle it early on. I tell people all the time, I'm like, you know, tackling something like that early on is probably you're ignorant about it, but is the best thing you'll ever do. So, so go forth and do it. You've got the least amount to risk right now. (laughs) You'll choose not to later when you have a mortgage and kids and all that kind of stuff and all kinds of responsibilities. You're like, I can do that. So, so Angie's List, we were talking just the other day at the office and I was like, I measure my years at Angie's List in wrinkles, I think at this point in the game. So I'm closing in on 22 years at Angie's List. So we started it, Bill Osterley and I started Angie's List in 1995. So while we get credit for being a tech business, we were pre-internet days. Yeah, exactly. There was a time it was like, you know, there was like email that was like in DOS, right? Like it was like a blue screen that you use. Like that was, that was what it was like when I was getting out of college. So, you know, so Bill and I met when I was in college. I actually interned for Bill at CID Equity Partners, which is a venture capital firm here in town. And I completely had no idea what venture capital was. I was totally ill-prepared for my interview and was hoping he didn't ask me too much about it because I would not do well. So I get in to the interview and Bill's first question to me uh, was whether I was a smart 
is the guy that he had just interviewed in mass. And I knew he had just interviewed, and I was like, okay, I can either say yes, like, what's the right answer here? I'm like, I don't know. Because I knew I wasn't as smart as Murray, so I had to say no. <laughs> and then the second question was basically, so, you know, what does venture capital do? And I was like, you invest in small companies. And I was like, please don't give me a follow-up question because that's about as far as I'm going to get. And so we stumbled through this interview process and, you know, Bill will tell it. He likes to share later that, like, I really did. He thought I needed a break. So he gave me the internship opportunity because the highlight of my resume up until that point was employee of the month at Ryan's Steakhouse. (laughs) (laughs) So, So I worked with Bill at the venture capital firm and then I really enjoyed it and it was fun. Uh, I enjoyed the idea of a small company, but I was graduating. It was 1995. I was an economics major at DePaul. I was likely to be a consultant, right? Like that's what I was probably going to do. So I was going down that path. And then Bill was giving me suggestions of companies I might apply to. So I was mailing my cover letter, mailing my cover letter and resume off to these companies and never heard anything back from them. And so Bill calls me one day and he's like, hey, you know, I've always thought about starting a business. What if you just like forget about looking for a job? Your parents are going to hate this idea. And why don't you just agree to to work together? We hadn't even decided. He didn't even know what we wanted to do. So I was like, oh, I don't know. That just seems like a crazy idea. And I like wrung my hands about it for probably, you know, a few weeks. I finally talked to my grandfather who lived through the depression. And he was like a very conservative guy. And he like finally looks at me. He's like, Angie, what's the difference between being 22 and looking for a job and being 23 and looking for a job? Like nothing. There's no difference. So just do it. So, so I agreed. So we were, off to, we were off to create a media directory for the state of Ohio. That was our first business idea. Compelling, isn't it? We decided not to do that. And so, so we, Bill had been a member of, the, of Unified Neighbors, which was a company that started here in the early 70s that helped you find local service companies. So if, you, if your family lived in Carmel back in the 70s, you probably were longtime members of that. So he had bought a house in, in Columbus, Ohio, and was trying to renovate it because he loves to renovate old houses. And lo and behold, there was no Unified Neighbors. And in fact, when he started looking around, there was only a Unified Neighbors in Indianapolis. And so we decided we would start our own Unified Neighbors. So we started it, called it Columbus Neighbors. It was great, had a great business model. It like worked very similar to what we do today. Consumers give reviews, we have a list. Advertisers are highly rated companies, had a little magazine, kind of the same. The only problem was they hadn't marketed their business in 20 years because they had built up an annuity. It was basically this little little annuity that had like 5,000 members and they just churned and the woman that owned it was golfing every day. It was great, great business. <laughs> Bill and I sometimes joked around about the fact that we should have just stopped at Indianapolis and Columbus because we could have been doing the same thing, but you know, we're both still working now. So, so, so we didn't have a marketing plan. So we decided that we would tackle marketing like they did. So in 1970s, they actually went door to door selling memberships to Unified Neighbors. So Bill's idea was to take introverted Angie, who is terribly shy and doesn't like to talk to people, and suggest that she spend her days going door to door in 1995 when no one answers the door. So I would go and knock on doors and ask people to buy a membership. And I literally measured my sales like if I sold one a day. It's like a great day. I remember September of 1995. It was like the rock bottom. We sold, I think, 32 memberships that month. 32. $19 a pop, 32 memberships. I was like, this 
is the most miserable experience of my entire <laughs> life. Like this is like, I didn't go to college for this. I didn't need to go to college for this. What am I doing? But I had agreed to say. So, you know, so I, I called Bill up one day that month. And, and I think I, I still to this day remember, like he was smart enough to remember not to meet me at my little tiny hundred square foot office with no window and a card table. So he called me, he's like, let's just meet at the coffee shop. I was like, okay. And so we get to the coffee shop and he's like, so you want to talk? And I was like, yeah. And I literally like, I couldn't even get a word out. And I start just crying. (laughs) And so Bill just starts talking. And so he's like literally pep talk, pep talk, pep talk, pep talk. Because Bill wasn't working there at the time. He's still at the venture firm. And so finally, I was like, he tells the story. He's like, at the end of this conversation, at the end of his little speech, he was just like, all I could say was that I wasn't going to quit. And he's like, great, look, just get back at it. Come on. (laughs) Because like many times I like often think I'm like, when I define entrepreneurs, I hear people talk about their entrepreneurial journey. And I was like, like, I don't think I had that story. Like I didn't, I wasn't the person with a grand idea. I don't consider myself a risk taker, you know, but so the characteristics that I would often associate with that, I was like, I didn't really define myself that way. Like, I'm like, I was a math minor. I wanted to be a math major. I thought about being an actuary at one point. There is nothing about me that like, <laughs> the screams like, you just start a business. <laughs> and so, you know, but one of the things I've learned over the years is probably the one element that kind of, that, that was probably one of the key points is perseverance. Like, you know, you know, anybody you talk to started a business, like there are many times that you just want to throw up your hands. It's hard. It's hard. Like exact target had their days where they had their month, they had 32, their equivalent of 32 memberships sold, right? You're just like, will anybody believe in me? Is this really all? It's just, it's hard and it's lonely. It's, I mean, what you guys are lucky about with high alpha is that you guys have a great network. I was literally living in Columbus, Ohio, fresh out of college and knew no one. And work by myself. Like I would go Friday night to Monday morning and not speak to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, so, so make sure you appreciate the fact that you have that network. Cause I didn't like my friends were all off. I I do. I'm not from Ohio. I moved to Ohio with my Ford Escort loaded with all my worldly belongings. Like I had nothing. I was just like, I knew no one in Ohio. So I was completely transplanted. So having that network system is is incredibly beneficial. And I encourage you to take full advantage of that because you'll be able to benefit from each other's experiences in the process. So how did we end up in kind of the tech space? So we were a review company. We were a review company before there were reviews. You know, know, we literally wrote them down on paper and we thought of our, our role models as journalists. So like people say like, oh, how unique Angie's List. You guys decided you weren't gonna do anonymous reviews. It's just we didn't even think that you should be able to do anonymous reviews because we started in 1995 and you had to have a source for every story. You don't have to be responsible, people. So, you know, so we went through this process where we needed, we were like, okay, that's that's who we're going to be. The internet came along and we decided, hey, we probably should have a website, right? You know, it seems like people might want to take advantage of that. So so I think we took $1,000 and we were working in Broad Ripple at the time. And so like down the street, was like, you know, some fresh college grads that knew how to design websites. We paid them a thousand bucks to make ourselves a little website. And it was literally an email-based website. Like, you know, it was just an informational website, which was, you know, cutting edge at the time, I guess. And then we let it run. And Bill comes in one day. It was just like, so how's that website going? 
And so Scott Britton, who worked with us, was he's like, he goes and looks at the numbers. He comes back. He's like, we're getting about half our sales off of that. Literally, people are like emailing us their credit card on our email-based website in, you know, 1998. <laughs> and we were like looking at each other. We're like, I guess we better build a website. We better invest in this. So we went about going and building out our website and, and developing the site. And, you know, and of course, as you guys realize, I mean, that became the way for, for us and for many companies. But it was one of those where it was like, we didn't let it define us. It was just another way consumers could access it. And it turned out to be the way they were, they were most preferred. So, so we considered ourselves marketers and salespeople. And we had to become technologists. We had to go build a technology group. You know, I, you know, I remember our first, uh, our first engineers, you know, sitting there. And he's like, literally, we're all like, can you do for us? This is so cool. <laughs> You know, it's like, what are we going to do? What should we do? You know, Randy Stoplin, I think was our second. So if you guys know Randy here in town, like, you know, he was our second, he was our second engineer, you know, it was like Randy and John sat there. We'd sit in there we're like, okay, what can we do? What about this? You know, it's just like, you know, it's like, how can we, how can we make this, how can we make this better? And so the advice I always give folks is when you're thinking about your startup, you know, think about, think about your idea, think about who you're going to have a part of your team. You know, it's like why I'm so excited they got the gang, the band back together here is because that really matters. Like who's on your team? Like for me, it's always about who I'm working with. And I think it's especially even more important in a small startup. You know, it's like you figure like half of your hires are going to be a mistake. Like even great hiring, you got like a 50% batting average. It's, that's not how you say it. It's like a 0.5 batting average. I don't know baseball, right? <laughs> 500. That's it. That's it. 500. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, be very picky on the folks that you're that you're bringing into the fold and also be really honest about what you bring to the table and what you don't bring to the table. I think that's one thing that entrepreneurs aren't very good at because we're very like we want to do and we want to get things done and we just want to be really maybe controlling. <laughs> like, so you want to like make sure that you can be honest. Like, you know, like I knew like I I'm not a technologist. I'm not a salesperson. Like, but you have to be willing to say that, and you have to be comfortable bringing in people that can match your your shortcomings. And sometimes we're not always good at reminding ourselves of that, and just making sure that we let things go at the appropriate time. I mean, so you know, as Angie's list has evolved, you know, I I, I always I always evaluate my experience based on, hey, am I learning new things? Am I doing new things? Am I having fun with the people I'm working with? You know, it's like, it's not about what you're doing. It's how is the team evolving and how you're, how you're changing and evolving with the company. And, and that can be fun and exciting, but you need to remember, you need to be able to say kind of like, Hey, it's sometimes it's better for the company if I do X or I don't do Y. And, and sometimes that can be a challenge in the process, but it's a fun part of the the evolution, the fun part of the learning in the process too. I can tell stories about fundraising. If maybe you guys don't want me to tell stories about fundraising. <laughs> it's all fair game. Okay. Okay. Cause we have some good stories about fundraising. So, so I always encourage folks to always raise your money when you don't need it. I think a lot of times people go and raise their money when they desperately need it. You're like, make payroll next week, you know, maybe we need to go because then you're, you're totally at an, at a, an opportunity to, to not, to get, not get money. You, you're definitely the loser in that scenario. You know, and I think we had, we had the advantage of Bill having come out of venture capital. So he kind of knew the, he knew all the tricks of the trade in the process. You know, I remember the, the first time, you know, we got external venture capital from, or we got interest from, it was even before the battery round. So it was back in, I think, 2003. So it was probably five years before that. We had a venture firm come in 
And we got really far. We were like down to signing on the documents until they finally said like, hey, it's all well and good, but you know, we need you guys to move your headquarters to Boston because we don't think you're going to find enough smart people in Indianapolis. So we turned that money down. So back to point one, only raise money when you don't need it. We turned that money down because we're like, you know what? And in many ways, it gave us a little a little gumption. We're like, we're going to show you that you are wrong. And so to this day, it's like, that's probably one of my, <laughs> one of my most fun stories. Cause it's like, you know, it's, it's remembering what you bring to the table and remembering that, you know, there are multiple paths to get there and, and, and don't just settle, you know, go after, go big and stand by your convictions. So, so that was a fun story. So, so don't be, uh, don't take the money when they say you can't find enough good people here in Indianapolis, because you can, you can find enough good people. There's lots of good people here. There's lots of great businesses. And now I, you know, the New York times article was fantastic. So it was like, I passed that one around very handily. Cause I was like, look at this, this is what we're doing here in Indianapolis. And I'm, I'm very proud to say I'm part of the community. So <laughs> let's unpack your, your story a little bit. Yep. So you're from Fort Wayne. Mm-hmm. You went to DePaul. Yep. Why did you choose DePaul? It- Cost me the least amount of money. Yeah, that's a good answer. <laughs> so I grew up, I was I was the first in my immediate family to go to college. My dad was a UPS driver. My mom was a bank teller. And I am very practical. Mm-hmm. So it was cheaper. For, I got more scholarships and got a free ride to go to DePaul. And it was going to cost me money to go to IU. So yeah. off to DePaul I went. I actually didn't think I was going to go. Like, I'll be completely honest. Like, I was back to being shy and unsure of myself. Like, I literally told my parents I was going, we had my stuff packed, ready to go. And I was like, I am not getting out of that car. Mm. Not getting out of the car. It was like, we drive down there. Like, I'm not getting out of the car. I'm not getting out of the car. Like, like I, I, I always appreciate the fact that my mom knew me well enough to realize that when I got out of the car, she said, you're not coming home till Thanksgiving and drove away. <laughs> and I was three hours away from home with no transportation. So I was just like, I might still be living with her in Fort Wayne if the power she hadn't of, had that uh, kick out of the nest. <laughs> the power of kicking you out. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How did you go from somebody who almost couldn't get out of the car to go to college <laughs> to like five years later being willing to knock on doors and ask people for money? Like that's a that's, I, that's a game changer. How, how did that happen? Well, I mean, it was like, I, I don't know that I changed. Like, it was literally just like, I kind of like, I'm the kind of person that likes to please. And I was kind of like, that was my agreement and that was my commitment. So therefore I was going to do it. So I joke around that I like to do things. I do things that I don't like to do early in the day. So, you know, I'm like when I was making sales calls to service companies, selling advertising, it was always first thing in the morning. I had to get it done. Mm-hmm. So I could go on and do other things. And I still to this day, so like the, now people around the office just wonder, like if they get a call from me early in the day, <laughs> it's like a bad sign that Angie didn't want to. <laughs> so, so then I'm trying to keep that one on the <laughs> we, we won't tell. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So then you were knocking on doors mm-hmm. and struggling to sell, but having good days too, I'm sure, after the crime was over well, you know, they're like, a couple of pats yeah, on the back. Some and, days there were sales of two. I mean, it's an amazing story, right? That you were literally knocking on the door and, and keeping the list. Tell us the, the legend of, of Angie's list, like literally the name. The name? Yeah. 
So we we started, it didn't start as Angie's Love, it started as Columbus Neighbors. So Unified Neighbors was Indianapolis. We moved to Columbus. We're not terribly original, so we called it Columbus Neighbors. So we left Columbus Neighbors for about nine months, and we made this little newsletter. So we do a magazine today, but a little newsletter. And people thought that that was the list. So if we didn't have any plumbers in it, they were like, well, maybe next month this will this will be useful. So we thought, hey, we need to like encourage people to call us. So we need to focus on the list. And so we threw around some names. So it was either going to be the list, this militant, like I've got your back. I'm going to protect you from all the bad contractors. There was Jackie's list. Jackie was the mother of one of our board members who, who, was, who was Angie's list. Like she knew everybody in town. She knew everything. If you need to know something, you talk to Jackie. She knew the answer. And then at the very end, Bill slides in. He's like, why don't we just call it Angie's List? Because she's here. She answers the phone and the story kind of works. And, you know, and I was just like, I probably didn't know what I was getting into when I said yes to that. Right. It was kind of like, it was like, we have 30 members. Does it matter? (laughs) What does that mean? And so, so we went with that. Yeah. So it makes the story easy. That's that's cool. That's cool. I always wonder, uh, I'm a music fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the bands I like is Dave Matthews. Mm-hmm. And I always wonder if Dave Matthews likes being part of the Dave Matthews band mm-hmm. or if he regrets that decision. He regrets that. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> there are days like so. So it was like it was literally I'm trying to think it was like seven or eight years ago when the marketing team came to me and said, hey, we want to like we think you should put you in commercials. And I was like, hmm, it's not really my thing. <laughs> But it is the most common question. It's like, hey, is it, you know, is there is there an Angie? And I was like, you know, and I'm I'm a firm believer that like, you know, people have affinity to people more than they have to brands, right? You're like, like it's my friend Angie. You know, it's different than like my favorite drink is Coke, right? Like it's just a different relationship. So I was like, okay, we can try that. And and there are days even today that I'm like, you know, gosh, it'd be nice to be anonymous. Like when I show up at the grocery store without showering and, <laughs> and my kids, I mean, when they were younger, they were like literally like running all over the store. And I'm like, I'm the worst mother in the world. And everybody just noticed that. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. But it's interesting for my kids because my kids were young enough that they don't know, like they thought everybody's parent was on TV. <laughs> they were just like, aren't they all on TV? Like, what do you mean? And then it was like, it was literally probably a year or two ago, like it came home to roost for my oldest. And she was just like, you know, people don't like, they changed schools. People don't believe that you're my mom (laughs) and people know more about you than I do maybe. (laughs) And it was just like, one of those like realizations. I was like, Oh, it's okay. I mean, I intentionally keep you out of the fray. It's okay that they don't believe me. Mm-hmm. Believe you, <laughs> just let that be. It's really me. Right? It's really me. We we know the truth. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, it's an odd thing to see anyone that you know on TV. It's right. uh, yeah, right. It's like out of body experience when that happens. Yeah. Talk about. So you're a math major. As a math, I started you know, as a math major. I ended up being an econ major. Econ major, mm-hmm. math minor. Yep. Wanted to be an actuary. Yeah, exactly. You have passion for numbers. I love numbers. To this day, I love numbers. Yeah. To the same in fact, I like right now have this standing little analytics meeting that I have at four o'clock. So <laughs> with so. two or three of my favorite friends at the list. <laughs> well, Where I get to ask questions and they get to go find the answer. <laughs> and then we debate them. We'll, uh, we'll make sure you don't miss the meeting. See, that's the end of the day. So it's my oh, favorite yeah. meeting. Yeah, there you go. So talk about how uh, you guys do a ton of TV. TV advertising and mm-hmm. TV has traditionally been a medium that is difficult to measure. Mm-hmm. So how talk about how that like riffs with you and, and and do you think that you're the CMO of a 
of an amazing public company. Do you think the future of marketing is more math or more, call it art, more art. science, yeah. more art? So I'd like to think it's math because I'm the math geek, but like back to things I don't bring to the table, I'm not terribly creative, so I have to rely on my other folks. But you know, like the question about television, mass media as a viable marketing source has, a de- has been a debate I've been having with every investor for eight or nine years, like literally proving this point over and over again. It's kind of like, you know, it's like I remember when, you know, the market crashed in 08 and everyone's like, oh, we're going to go spend all our money on digital because that's going to be the answer. <laughs> and I was like, well, you all understand. Like, this is, this is the analogy that I use to explain this to most people. It's like, when you call up a, a local company back in the day, maybe not all of us, and it's like, you would say, people would say, oh, how did you hear about us? And they would say, the Yellow Pages. Mm-hmm. And the answer wasn't, and, and the Yellow Pages sold, you know, billions of dollars worth of advertising on this one very fact. In the, like, you saw that company somewhere, and you looked at the Yellow Pages to get their phone number. So therefore, the last click was therefore the credit given to it. And I mean... The same thing is true for digital. Like, what do we do today? You're like, oh, I saw a billboard or I heard a radio ad or I saw a TV ad. And I'm like, then I Googled it. There it was. So who did I, and so who do I give credit to? I give it to the digital. So, you know, so we actually have run, you know, a very you know, analytical, you know, marketing team. We're basically, even from the early days, it was literally like, you know, we didn't give, you know, we literally would do regression to see like, hey, we move the spend on Mar- on TV. What happens to everything downstream? We take it down. And and that's how we've always done it, you know, and it's and it's held true that like TV still works. So as much as we think TV doesn't work, TV, TV still works. It's, it's the top of the funnel, it builds the brand, it builds the awareness and drives drives folks lower in the funnel. Yeah. May not always be the case, but yeah, it's still it's still strong today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How has, how has your role changed as the company's grown? And maybe talk a little bit about what that's like as a co-founder to watch mm-hmm. your baby go from literally knocking on the doors yeah. to, you know, going public. Yeah. So I think, you know, so obviously like, you know, did everything, did all sales and marketing, you know, like, you know there's been varying phases as the company's grown that my, you know, my, probably my direct sphere of influence has changed, but my indirect sphere of influence has, has grown. So, you know, there's always this balance that, you know, being the founder in a company, you know, 20 years in, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like, hey, you know, you need to, we need to stay true to who we are, but we can't be afraid of change and innovation. So there's that balance. Like, you don't want to be the one that's been like, oh, this is how we should do. It. We should always do it this way. Don't ever, you know, the, the no change kind of person. So there's a balance of learning and evolving while still remembering, hey, here's the cornerstones of what the business is about. Let's make sure we can always go back and touch to that every time we kind of, does this, does this change meet that? But it's, it's that high level. And for us, it's like, hey, we want to elevate the local service experience. You know, we're all about getting a job well done, quality job well done. We want quality consumers leading to quality leads for service companies. But there's lots of ways that you can deliver that element and making sure that we're not deviating from that high level experience. So that's, so that's part of my... Mm-hmm part of my day to day. Yeah. Imagine it's got to be incredibly rewarding. It is like, but but I think one time, I think a lot of times with entrepreneurs, you forget to step back and look at the journey. Yeah. You're kind of like, you're so busy in the process that you forget. You're kind of like, oh, it is kind of different. 22 years. Exactly. (laughs) You sometimes get so focused on the day to day that you forget to take in the moment once in a while. Yeah. That's good. A couple more and then we'll maybe open it up. 
one of the things that we're really focused on at High Alpha, being in the tech community here in Indianapolis, the tech community at large, is diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, diversity amongst our leadership teams, amongst our managers, yep. amongst the entire companies that, that we create. Talk a little bit about being a woman in, in a leadership role, yep. being a, a co-founder, and what advice you might give to, to yeah. other women who are yeah. on that yeah, path. It's, it's interesting. I'm like, I, when I started, I probably spent a lot of my career being the only woman in the room, but I worked with a group of men that never pointed that out. And so for a long time, I was like, I, I've lived in this bubble that it was kind of like, what do you mean there's like a gender bias or things like that? I'm like, what do you mean? I don't see it. I'm like, you know, you know, that, that was kind of incredible. Like I, I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of admiration for that group of folks that I've worked with over the years that created that feeling. But, but it is, I think one of the things that, you know, and I had a lot of encouragement, so it wasn't like I was missing opportunity. So, so I spent a lot of time talking to young people. It's like, you know, young women, it's like, hey, you gotta, you've got to grab at opportunities. Like we're, women tend to naturally just be less likely to go, oh, what about me? I'm great for that. I would be fantastic. And, you know, it's like, so it's, it's how is there a happy medium for that? Because like, I, I think back on my path and I was like, I had the good fortune of Bill recognizing that I was a smart, hard worker. So I didn't have to raise my hand. So how do we, you know, how do we make sure that we create opportunities for that? And I think part of it is just, I think you're taking the right path of like, hey, how do we make sure that we get a nice balance in in teams when we're starting out right from the beginning? Yeah. You know, it's like we're versus having to go create it after the fact. You know, 20 years ago, you know, there was no conversation about, you know, female diversity in, you know, <laughs> in boardrooms or things like that. I mean, that wasn't even a conversation. So now, you know, so now I think you guys are starting it absolutely right. But you're making sure you're with a group you're comfortable with and don't be afraid to share your ideas. You don't have to be, you don't have to be the loudest one at the table. You don't have to be the one that's always has something to say. I'm like, I always say, be prepared and bring your A game. You know, it's like, you know, you could just, you know, even if you're only saying, you know, two or three things in the meeting, but if they're very relevant and important, they'll carry you a long way versus being the loudest one. Yeah, it's good advice. It's really good advice. My last question, mm-hmm. and then we'll open it up. One of the things that I think is so amazing about Angie's List and, and, and you personally is the Or Fellowship. As we think about this audience today, we think about the, the portfolio companies at High Alpha. There's just lots and lots of Or Fellows. Mm-hmm who are making a big impact and you were a big part of starting that program. Talk about kind of where that came from and, and yeah. your own personal passion for that. Yeah. So, so it was Bill and myself and then Scott Breton that started it. And, and it was really, we saw an opportunity to give back to the community that there, you know, there was just too much talent leaving the state. And, you know, how do we, how do we think about keeping folks here? And we looked back to our kind of starting out. So, you know, Bill was, uh, Bill worked for Governor Orr. And, you know, and, and then, you know, Scott came to work for Bill. I came to work for Bill. And it was really about those connections that were made early in our career because you set your path. You set your kind of first core of people that you're going to go to and, and get advice from and always come back to them. Because it's much harder to be away and then move back, yeah. which is what normally we'd hope would happen. It's like, oh, you go off, you start do something in Chicago, you go to business school, you get married, you have kids, and then you want to be back by mom and dad. And we hope that you come back to us. And then they have to figure out how to re- reinsert themselves in the, in the community, which is hard. And sometimes it just doesn't happen for folks. So, so that was our intent. So, I mean, it was pretty simple. It was like, hey, you know, get really smart, talented young people and make sure they get exposure to executives. And, you know, and that, and that was the recipe. Huh. 
And, and, you know, it's like, I'm very proud to see kind of where the fellowship has gone. I mean, it's obviously gone way beyond kind of our, our vision for what it was going to be. And, and, and it's a super neat group of folks. Yeah, it really is. It sounds like you have a knack for getting things to go beyond your your original (laughs) vision. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Stay up to date with High Alpha, our portfolio companies, and the future of Enterprise Cloud. Subscribe to our newsletter to get portfolio updates, new company launch information, and the latest content in your inbox every month. Visit highalpha.com slash newsletter to subscribe. That's highalpha.com slash newsletter. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Speaker Series Rewind is brought to you by High Alpha, a venture studio that designs and builds B2B SaaS companies. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can also subscribe or find additional content at highalpha.com slash podcast. We'd really appreciate any reviews. It'll help us reach more awesome people like you. Catch you next time.